Welcome to San Diego Magazine's Happy Half Hour. I am one of your hosts, David Martin. This is our uh, fun food and drink filled podcast. Uh, welcome back. And with me, as always, is Troy Johnson. It is crazy to be back after uh, I think every, the entire world's been sheltering in place, you know, for, for months. The magazine did the same thing. And now we're coming back to tell stories in a completely different way. We're scared. We're terrified. We're excited. I think it's, it's a gamut of emotions here, right? <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and new to the team, let's all give a rounding applause to uh, Marie Taco. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, I came out of hiding after, you know, working on the podcast for a year. Uh, Troy and uh, David made me do this. So uh, here I am. <laughs> that is a ringing endorsement of your involvement. <laughs> it totally is. I totally want to do this. I was forced. I was <laughs> let off the gangplank into this podcast. <laughs> My gosh, for sure. But so either way, it's really great to, to be back and doing this and, you know, providing a service to our, our local restaurant community and our just our community as a whole, I, I think I speak for all of us saying that this is kind of one of our favorite outlets that we have at the magazine, where we all can kind of just have awesome guests on like we have today. So today we have the owner of Nomad Donuts, Brad Kyler is with us. We're so happy to have you, Brad. Hey, good to see you again, David. Likewise. Great to be here. I got a question. Is that how you say your last name? Is it Kyler or is it Keller? It depends where you are in the world, my friend. <laughs> both, actually both, that, you work. let me off the hook so easy there you are a yeah. man i i say it keeler but uh a lot of my family keeler. says keeler so it's, yeah. it's your choice all right so, so uh yeah so brad's here um david are you gonna give a little bio of him are you gonna, gonna yeah so um as i said brad owner of nomad donuts in north park he opened the donut shop in 2014 and has been hit in the neighborhood ever since then brad is not only known for his donuts but he's also known for his work in the community and advocacy last fall brad publicly defended a homeless man uh his name was ray uh when a customer complained on yelp uh that ray hung out by the donut shop so i think we can all agree brad's compassion should have and we're so happy it went viral uh he also just wrote an article for inc magazine um about the nationwide protests and deaths of george floyd and shared his own experiences and his family's history brad is from south africa and his parents left in 1968 during the apartheid and moved to canada where brad was born and raised and he's been in the u.s for over 20 years so once again brad it's so great to have you here and i just also want to say brad also has a really sweet motorcycle <laughs> Yeah, that, that bad boy keeps me pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Got to have those things, man. Got to have those things. All right, yeah. so we're going to get into it. Uh, Brad, you know, obviously you've got a great perspective on the community. But, I mean, we're, you know, what a, a tragic, historic, and inspiring time in American life, right? You know, I mean, we're finally getting the kind of change that we think that we've all needed for, you know, 400 years. You know, um, I, you know, we're not seeing the changes yet, but we are seeing the, the seeds to change, you know, and you've got a good perspective being from South Africa, you know, and having, you know, you are part of the black community, part of our black owned business community. Um, you can, you know, get, shed light on it that we can't see, you know, and so that's the conversation that we kind of want to have today, right? We want to kind of have, you know, that conversation about what's going on and how it affects our local restaurant industry. Um, where, do, where do we start with this podcast? Where do you start when you're at a historic um, crisis in America and you're trying to talk about restaurants? Where the hell do we start? Nobody <laughs> knows. This is my point. Brad, what have you seen? I mean, we just ran that. Hey, I want to ask you this question. You know, yeah. um, with the we ran that list. Marie has put together the lion's share, and I've helped out with it too. A black-owned uh, 
uh, restaurants in San Diego. Um, and have you seen an uptick in business? And is this a productive thing or is this just a minor little patch on the way to a much bigger change, which we know it is, but have you seen an uptick in business and has it helped? Yeah, I actually have. Um, so oddly enough, the I think the list came out maybe, maybe Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday. And Thursday, Actually, it must have been Wednesday because Thursday, we're open just Thursday through Sunday right now. Um, and Thursday was extremely busy for, for a Thursday. Like it was almost back to normal type of business. And oh, wow. we were actually, we cut hours short too. So we were, um, we were almost normal busy with two less hours in the day, um, which is really cool. Friday was National Donut Day for us, which is always just a, I mean, it's a cluster. And uh, there were people in that line that had no idea it was National Donut Day. They were out to actually support a local black business. So it awesome. was really cool. And, yeah. And I should, and, I should uh, point out that we're not the only ones that have done this. You know, I, I'm yes. not, saying, not giving us credit. There's a woman that did this two and a half years ago, you know, um, and there is a lot of local media outlets that have put it together. Um, yeah. I know that you've said in the past, you, you're not even sure if you want your race, your race to be part of your idea identity or like the leading thing in your identity. So this has got to put you in a position that you weren't expecting to be in and maybe not even totally comfortable with. Yeah, this is like, this is a, um, we're going to get into a doozy right here. And this is Go just, for it. I'm all about this, this, is, this is the thing of being um, sort of mixed race. And I'll, I'll explain this because I'm sure everybody like, we'll, we'll start with the fact that when it came <laughs> with a black uh, restaurant lists come out. I'm typically not on the list, and it's somebody who knows me that's like, "Oh, hey, Nomad Donuts," and no one really realizes that I am black. And it's uh, it's kind of a thing of being of of mixed race, and um, I just call it ambiguously brown. I mean, <laughs> I, I just and you stop you stop sort of caring. Like a lot of people think I'm Islander. I get Filipino. If I'm on the East Coast, I get Cuban. Um, depends you know, just where depends you're at. <laughs> yeah. And I, I get Islander probably more than anything else. Um, and it just sort of leads to this thing where I just really don't care. Like, I, I think there's, uh, there's a lot to race. Um, one, the, the color of your skin, the darker you are, the harder life is for you, really. It's just kind of, it's like that and it sucks. Um, and the lighter you are, things kind of, you know, you, you, like I just sort of fall between the cracks. And I mean, if if you were to look at, you know, my, I guess my lineage, where my family comes from, I'm mostly like Zulu, you know, like Shaka. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that's, that's the biggest makeup. I'm English, I'm Dutch, I'm everything that arrived in South Africa. Um, and so I relate, I really relate to being African more than I do being African American. Um, and really relate to being Canadian and, and those things. So it's, it's a really interesting scenario for me. I just go through life doing what I'm doing. And I just really, I can't be bothered with what else someone else is thinking. I, cause I think it leads a bit to projection. Um, I project what I'm feeling on you, you feed it back to me, or I'm creating a reality inside my head of what you are thinking of me. But I, I think you learn when you're in my position, you can be thinking I'm Filipino and I'm thinking that you're thinking I'm black and it, what's the point? So I think nothing, and I just go through the day to day. 
Now, have you seen with all these people coming in now, um, and obviously everybody's hurting, you know, we're hurting for the black community. You know, I everybody's just, you know, outraged and sad and feeling helpless and not knowing how to act. You know, I mean, that's just, I mean, as a white, white man, I am, you know, I'm the hegemony in America. I am, you know, I'm, it's frightening that I'm going to take a wrong step in help and it's going to hurt like that black screen on Instagram, not helping. You know, I did it. I thought it was a great show of solidarity, took it down and then four hours later because I'm like, you know what, this is just performative. Um, you know, with all of these people coming through, are you getting a lot more conversations about race and is it good? Are you feeling the love? Are you, I mean, or is it overwhelming? And you're like, you know what, this is kind of a distraction. Um, so in the shop, I'm, I'm the full-time baker right now. So I don't talk a lot with customers right now. Um, most of my conversations happen outside of work. Um, I do have a lot of white friends, uh, I have a lot of Mexican friends, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of different race friends. I don't have a lot of black friends, though, in San Diego. It's kind of, um, you know, I just moved here. I moved to OB. I moved to, you know, different parts of town. And so it's just, you know, I mean, I know, <laughs> I know Brad and Rick, we run into each other all the time. We can barbecue. Um, I go see him probably once a week, you know, and just say hi, shoot the shit. But, um, yeah, it's, it's mostly conversations uh, with people outside the shop. It is exhausting. I'm going to yeah. say um, I am not a fan of social media. It's something I do um, for work. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've found myself, you know, posting things for my friends just to, you know, it's like, hey, I'm going to help you out with this. <laughs> here's right. my perspective. Here's sort of, you know, here's how I see things and, and frame things. And we, I think what's really happened here, and I just – jump into that sort of stream is we, we just dropped the ball somewhere in, in, the, in the end of the sixties. You know, there, there, there looked like there was a glimpse of, of greatness and a glimpse of hope. And it's sort of, I think it just died with, with the Kennedys and MLK and X and, um, and just got forgotten. And now I think we're, we're really trying to put back to put it back together again. And I think that conversation like this conversations with, with your friends and please encourage your black friends, although they may be tired of it too. But yeah. um, I think we just have to talk and we have to talk. One, one of my biggest concerns is the conversations that are not happening across political lines. Like when I arrived here in 2000, um, the, com the country was already kind of uh, fragmented and divided. Um, under George W. It has only gotten worse and much worse since then. Mm. And I think that's one of my biggest concerns. So talking, I will talk to anybody anytime because I think you need to overcome that. So what about the conversations that aren't happening? You said, you know, you're concerned about the conversations that aren't happening. What conversations are those? You know, I mean, what, what, what do you, you know, what, when you go home at night and you talk to people you love, you're like, man, you know what nobody's talking about is, is this. So I, I think the conversations are great around, um, police violence. And I think that I honestly, I think that crosses racial lines. I think that people don't realize that you, know, <laughs> you see that armored personnel carrier and, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the yard, the police yard, like what's that there for, man? Like, I don't know. And the, mm. and I think that the police are a little over militarized. I think that's a big issue for everybody. And yes, um, black people do suffer uh, that violence. I mean, 
they can sit here and tell you, do you guys have a pullover procedure? I do. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I have a daytime and a nighttime pullover procedure, so I don't, you know, cross the line. I don't put myself in danger. And I follow it. You know, it's stay calm, hands on the steering wheel, don't move unless directed, answer only what you're, what you're asked, no more, no less, be polite, <laughs> and that's it. At nighttime, before you put those hands on the steering wheel, you hit the dome light, and then you don't move until instructed to. And, you know, you see it, I, you watch, and it's, I think those things are the small things that people aren't talking about. Like, when you're growing up, like, my nephew, my sister has to give him rules of what to do and what not to do to stay safe when you go out, you know? And, and that's one of the things is pullover procedure. Another is, you know, mm -hmm. um, not wearing a hoodie like Jesus, you know, do not pull your hood up. Do not, you know, do anything that's of risk. When you're in a store, watch what you touch, watch what you, you know, always, you know, always get a just dumb shit like that, that no one thinks about. But I think those are conversations that start to clue people into how different our day-to-day -day is uh, for a black person to a white person. And it's just, you know, it's sad, but that's what, that's what you have to do. I, and that's something that I've, I've never had to experience myself and I can't imagine experiencing it, but it's like, and then that mixed with the other things that are going on now, especially with COVID, I was speaking to uh, a very good black friend of mine that's in Texas. And he was saying something along the lines of he's been needing to, basically make sure that he gets friendly masks because of the way like that there's some of the perception of people down there and which is completely unfair. And I've just, it blows my mind that that's something that people would have to even think about doing. It's mind blowing. Well, it's a one privilege. I guess it's not even a question. It's just a statement. It's just, I'm just kind of just in shock of, of it, you know, well, it's, it's a white terrible. privilege, right? Now, what I always it say is, white it privilege is. is that people say, you know what, I don't think I have white privilege. I'm like, well, that means your white privilege is working because you don't have <laughs> yeah. to think about yeah. it. You know what I mean? It's terrible. You don't, have, don't even yeah. notice it. It's there, you know, and it just works to your advantage. You know, I mean, I'm terrified. I mean, and this is not a screed against police officers, again, because we do have a problem with the police force, uh, police abuse, especially with our black communities. Um, but, you know, it's not, obviously, we're not vilifying every single police officer in the world. Right. But, you know, like my, my nephew is a police officer and he's the sweetest dude, doesn't have a racist bone in his body. Then he's that guy you're like, oh my God, what a great human being. You know, but it's, it's the, the 5%, you know, that is ruining and making my nephew unsafe. You know, and I honestly, I, I'm afraid of cops. I mean, I'm afraid when somebody comes up to me with a gun, you know, and, and, and like you said, militarized, you know, I'm afraid and I'm a white male. I can't even imagine, you know, that the, the, the fear that, you know, our black community has. I can't even fathom it because I'm, I'm shaking a little bit, you know, every time they come up to my window. You know? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things in there. Um, Yes, it's not every cop, and we have to say that. And yes, yeah. it, <laughs> the police force is probably too militarized. And yes, um, I well, I, and I also think we ask them to do more than they're meant to do. Mm -hmm. You know, like um, when we talk about, you know, you talked about Ray at the beginning of this, and um, I, I talk with Ray every day. He actually helps me out around here do some stuff like. Today, he helped mark out the, you know, the six-foot markers. We had to sort of move them, social distancing markers on the sidewalk. And I actually had to put a letter in the window, like tape it on the inside of the window, saying that he was allowed to be there. Um, 
you know, because they come by and they roused him on on once a week, twice a week, and it got a little bit worse during COVID. I get that, you know, they're they're really trying to um, contain the spread within the homeless community, but you know, it, it's just like, is that their job really to come around and you know, <laughs> should it, should it be a social worker? Should it be someone from Health and Human Services that comes around and talks to Ray about? going to the shelter or that type of thing. And, um, you know, it's just, I think we do ask too much. Yeah. And we need to redefine the role. I don't like the, I don't like the term defund the police. I think it just sets the wrong perception. I think it's too easy to twist. Mm -hmm. I think, I think it's more about redefining the role of the police. And I know that doesn't ring so well, but, I think that's I think that's really what we need to look at as a society is you know who's doing what and are they equipped to do it? I think the community does need to get involved too. There there can be you know um, you know with somebody who's homeless, there can be a psychologist, there can be a you know um, a, a behavioralist who's trained in you know what homeless needs are that reaches mm-hmm. out first instead of the police officer. Unfortunately, the police are the ones that people know how to call, and they call them, and a lot of times you know the, they're. They don't have the bedside manner, you know, that, you know, somebody who trained in, you know, dealing with the psychological trauma of living on the streets would entail, you know, uh, they're just, you know, they kind of see it, it as a problem that needs to be t- getting, gotten rid of or not gotten rid of, but escorted out or, you know, mm-hmm. moved along instead of, you know, like, you know, accommodated and helped, you know, that sort of thing. Brad, let me ask you this question. Yeah. As a as a black man, were you kind of and a restaurant owner? Were you kind of happy that restaurants were closed when this happened, when George Floyd happened? Because and and follow my reasoning on this, if you would, and and, and then tell me I'm absolutely wrong. But had they not been closed, we might have been out at restaurants. We might not have seen that. We might not have obsessed on this. We might not have really paid attention. We might have been you know, over, you know, a plate of gnocchi somewhere and gone on with our lives, you know, but because the restaurants and the bars and the movie theaters and the concert venues were all shut down, we saw George Floyd and we saw what really, I mean, the, the full tragedy in slow motion and it, it created this impact that is bigger than anything I've ever seen in my lifetime in terms of civil rights, in terms of equal rights, and anything like that. Do you think that helped out because it was so, so shut down? And one word answer, yes. I mean, yeah. pe- people are spending more time on social media. <laughs> My phone yeah. tells me how long I've been. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and it has increased dramatically. And that is, um, I also think that time, people have time to, uh, time to actually go out and protest and demonstrate. And uh-huh. I think it makes a difference. And um, I also think there's something at play here. And I, I just I haven't really quite worked this one out so at the risk of sounding like uh, naive or a little dumb. I'm just going to say it. Um, I also think this is a moment like where the youth of today, you know, the millennial generation may have, you know, they have the time right now. They, I think they want something, a purpose, a thing, you know, that, that, that has meaning for them. I, I really, like a lot of people, uh, I'm a Gen Xer and, you know, baby boomers all talk about how, you know, oh, millennial this, millennial that. I'm like, dude, you don't remember. You were like that, Uh you know, except 
those guys really, their future looks a lot more bleak, you know, like affording a house, uh, you know, student loans, all of this stuff, even healthcare. Like, I mean, a lot of these kids out of jobs, you know, in restaurants and what do you do? You had no healthcare, you know, you got no, it just doesn't look that great. And I think this, this may be their moment. I hope this is their moment. I, they give me hope. So yeah, it's fun to make fun of their avocado toast. Don't get me wrong. You know? <laughs> but, but I will say you're right. And I've always said this about this, uh, about millennials. I like taking poking fun of them because that's just part of the initiation process. You know, I mean, the, the boomers made fun of uh, me, Gen X, you know, yeah. and then I make fun of millennials. It's like the older brother or sister or sibling, you know, they get to pass it down. But they are one of the most motivated generations I've ever seen in terms of social causes. And I've always had this, you know, and this is after... The, the shift in corporate culture too. You know, you think about Tom's Shoes, you think about cause-related businesses, there's so many more. It became only in the last 10 to 15 years where if you had a business, you had to have an altruistic um, funnel to your corporation, you know, or you almost didn't matter. I mean, at least that's where I feel like it's gotten to. Like if you're not really actively involved in the community and not just Costco, not just Walmart, but you know, as a local business, you have to have that, you know, which is a burden in and of itself sometimes too, you know, but I mean financially, but they are, they are very conscious of making change, you know, and maybe it's because their future has looked a little bleak, as you say, you know, but I've never seen such an active generation, you know, that is willing to protest and is good at social media so they can get that message across really, really fast. It takes me 20 minutes to type something and they do it in two seconds. You know? Yeah. The expediency is there too. And I think, I think one of the things that's really cool too is they're, they are very savvy in social media and, Social media is, sorry, cracking another beer. Here we go. Yeah. Do it. Cheers to that. What are you drinking, by the way? Uh, so, you know, I love the boys at fall and, yeah, they, you know, homies who used to be neighbors and I love them dearly. But my new neighbor is North Park Beer Co. And uh, I knew we were having this, so I just ran down the street and got a few. So, and I'm drinking oh, yeah. Mosaic Melody. Tasty. Quite, quite good. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so millennials are quite versed in social media, and I think um, you know, social media is this is this great, <laughs> great communication tool that is used in a lot of ways. And I think um, a lot of a lot of what's happening right now, a lot of uh, a lot of messaging, miscommunication, a lot of propaganda, just straight out, is on there. They under I think they understand it a little bit better, and I think they are quick to combat it. And I think that's necessary. And mm -hmm. whereas. An old Gen X are like being like, oh, what's going on? Oh my, what, what is this? R-O-L-L-F-F, whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like I have to, I honestly have to look up some of the abbreviations. <laughs> same like, man, same. TPH, what? what? <laughs> I just don't know what TikTok is. <laughs> <I'm> like, <I laughs> know, which makes me feel old. <laughs> I guess I like, just cause I, I think that, you know, it's really important to focus on helping your business more. What are the kind of things that you've been doing to ensure that customers feel safe inside Nomad Donuts and things along those lines? So um, we are still on takeout only. Um, we, yeah, I guess when we started out next to uh, next to Ono Grinds and Fall on 30th Street, um, we had no inside seating or anything. So, I remember it. <laughs> yeah, we, we start, basically started out as takeout and um, it, it was an easy thing to fall back on for us. Um, this particular location, a little larger and has 
one thing that we didn't have over there is two doors. Um, so basically I set it up in the same way as the old shop, went back old school. I moved the display case right up to the door. So when you walk in the door, it's one person or one family party at a time in. You look at the donuts, you place your order. There's a, there's a menu there that we wipe down, sanitize um, our POS. We also sanitize door handles, all that stuff. Um, you place your order, you step down, there's six foot markers throughout the shop. And then there's also a waiting area and a pickup table if you ordered like a bagel sandwich or something that took a little bit of time. And so we just really control the flow of people inside the shop, um, keep them distanced and, uh, you know, keep everything sanitary. And then outside the shop, um, you know, it's six foot markers uh, that go for <laughs> quite a ways <laughs> on, the, on the side of the building right now. And that, that helps us keep the social distancing and people have been really good about it. So, oh, and no entry without a mask. Like that's just, uh, you know, we turned a few people away. They have not been pleased, but you know, hey. Awesome. That's how it goes. So what, what's more popular right now? Are the donuts more popular or the bagels more popular? I, I'm a sucker for your bagel sandwiches. The bagel sandwiches are like some of the best in town. I, I absolutely love them. Thank you. Um, so it's probably, I think the, the mix is probably something like about 60-40 right now. Um, 60 being bagels and, uh, or sorry, donuts and 40 being bagels. Um, which is, uh, like when we first started out, obviously it was all donuts, all donuts. And then the bagels have just become uh, an increasing uh, percentage of sales. So, And I love that. I, I love the bagel myself. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a labor of love. And, the, and when I say labor of love, the emphasis is on labor. <laughs> it, it is. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite a bit of work. You know, you hand roll like 300, 400 of those in a day. It's like, oof. So for people that don't know, like what really makes a Montreal style bagel different than a traditional bagel? Because I don't think a lot of people understand the difference. Yeah. So um, Montreal style is... Um, it's boiled in sweetened water, um, usually honey. That's Montreal. We use agave um, one oh, wow. just to give it sort of like a Southern California twist and also uh, to make it vegan friendly. And then um, it's baked in a, in a stone oven. Like they use a, like a wood fire stone, hearth, all of that. Um, we use a wood stone oven um, with a gas flame. It's just a little easier to control. Um, they come out a little crispier on the outside, chewier on the inside um, with a little bit of sweetness to them. Um, and we also, we, we grab a little bit from New York. So New York style in comparison is boiled. Um, I believe they use baking soda in the water. Yes. Um, and then uh, it goes through a, like a conveyor gas oven. Um, it's a little bit more automated. Um, and the hand roll process too with Montreal is a little bit different. So, and then we take a little bit from New York, like I'm getting confusing here, but Montreal, the proof is pretty much in the boil. Like they just mix the dough, cut it, roll it, boil it. Um, New York, it usually gets, um, the dough gets made, it gets uh, slow proofed overnight, blah, blah, blah. So we actually take the dough. Um, I make it, I make the dough, I roll it, I shape it. I put it in the fridge for two days, shaped like that, and then take it out in the, um, that slow rise, a little bit of fermentation, um, adds some flavor. It actually really makes the crust great. Um, I was experimenting in the last few months. I, 
it's a nice thing that COVID has given us is a little time to work on the business, oddly <laughs> enough, um, and get better at what you do. And that's, I added an extra day to that process just because I thought it came out a little bit better. So, yeah, I mean, that's anything awesome. better, anything fermented is better beer, chocolate, bread, kimchi, <laughs> you know, kimchi, oh, exactly. <laughs> anything sauerkraut. Anything yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. You know, my shirt during the <laughs> Sorry, that was disgusting. Um, all right, Brad, talk to me about being a business owner uh, d during COVID, man. I mean, are, are you afraid? I mean, you have to deal. I mean, you know, it's easy for me as a writer. I, I get to write from home. You know, I get to work from home. I have, you know, a, 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 um, older parents with underlying conditions. I got my daughter to protect, you know, and I can do a lot of what I do directly from my house. You know, but you got to be there on the front lines to keep your business alive. Are you afraid? Are you, you know, is it, is it, I don't know. What's your, what's your take on this? I'm, I'm not afraid. Uh, yeah. I guess, so I, I had, I had these conversations with my employees early on and um, some employees just flat out were really freaked out by it. And yeah. I understand that. And I get, you know, I'm not going to make anybody work and flat out, you really can't make anybody work. They have to, they have to make that decision themselves. But yeah. you know, we had, we had really frank conversations and my, my perspective on it is this, is that uh, I guess the, if, if you're careful, the, the chances of getting infected are relatively low. Um, you know, washing hands, not touching your face. Um, wearing a mask was something that came around a little bit later, but just watching your distance, you know, the social distancing helps a lot. And then I also, you know, just from my perspective, I'm, I'm younger, I'm relatively healthy. I think that even if I got sick, I would get through it. My only fear would be that I would be out of the shop for, you know, two weeks of isolation, but I think it would probably be more like three weeks for me. And that's, that's a hard thing because we're still small. We haven't crossed that barrier where someone really, someone else could really take it over. Um, that's the scariest thing, right? I didn't think about yeah. that. It's not that you're, like you said, you feel physically fit. You feel up to the, <laughs> the Corona challenge, if you will. I mean, you feel like your body could ha handle it, but could your economy, could you as a small business owner have to, to you know, quarantine for two weeks and, and leave this to, I mean, I, I imagine you have some good employees, but you know, that'd be tough. Yeah. I also, I also worry about my employees. I worry about my employees more than I worry about myself. You know, it just, that's why we haven't opened, like we have a dining room, we have a lot of seating. Um, yesterday no tuesday okay <laughs> tuesday our sidewalk cafe railing got installed and it's very beautiful there's no tables out there yet and i'm gonna take my time on this getting that into place i just don't you know we're, we're good at takeout we've always been good at it so we'll continue that we we really aren't opening the dining room because i just don't i don't want to put my employees in that situation and i just i just think that there's I think there's more to come on this and I don't want to start heading down a path where we're all committing to, you know, this table service. We don't have a lot of airflow inside the shop. Outside is a different uh, scenario, but hey, I'll take care of my peoples. Yeah, you got it, right? <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about takeout. Like, so two people, 50 bucks doesn't seem really relevant anymore. <laughs> like uh, it should be really like, as you're saying, like keeping the community safe, keeping your employees safe, like two people for a takeout. What are, what are the kind of things you guys are thinking for two people to go? 
Um, oh, oh, we're switching into, okay, here, we're welcome back, everybody. This is our segment. They used to be I, I think it's a segment. I'm not like, sure. Was that a good transition? I'm not used to this new role. Two people stay alive. Two people stay alive. All right, here we go. Two people staying alive, eating at awesome local restaurants. Awesome local restaurants. All right, all right. Two people, 50 bucks. Marie, why don't you start on that one? You got yours? Yeah, I went Great. to Good tribute uh, pizza last night because I, I really had a, a craving and I, I, I needed some. And I like that they also have uh, cocktails to go and beer and wine so you don't have to make more than one stop. And I, I like their takeout setup. It's just really easy. They have maybe six or seven you know spots open just for a curbside takeaway. So you pull in, you know, you call after ordering online and, and then they bring it out to your car. I, I, I think they, they've had probably one of the best uh, takeaway setups since, since this started. Nice. I oh. was wondering if every single person was going to potentially have Tribute Pizza as their, their pick for that. <laughs> hey, Tribute did a fantastic they did. job during this whole quarantine. I mean, he is – it's, it's Matt, right? Yeah, yeah Matt. Matt's on it. Yeah, Matt did an amazing job. You know, he took care of his employees. He took care of the farmers. He was doing the CSA boxes. He really had the setup where I think he basically took over that part of the city and put up cones. He's like, these are our parking spots now. I don't know if that was legal. Who knows? Who cares? <laughs> it was really, really well done, though, man. And then with the point of sale as well on their uh, their website, if you needed toilet paper, you just hit a button. They'd be like, do you need one roll or two rolls? Don't be greedy. <laughs> <laughs> and it was free and it was free it was free that cost nothing so i thought it was that that was pretty good um for my per my two people stay alive is uh cory pastificio um mm. again going over to north park south park we're kind of you know staying staying in your neighborhood over there um brad but the they oh god Accursio Lota has been an Italian chef for a long time in San Diego. He was, he's at the always underrated, he was at the always underrated Solare in Liberty Station. He won the 2017 World Pasta Championship, you know, which was sponsored by Barilla, that, that um, you know, box pasta from Italy, you know, uh, but it was a real championship and a lot of really great chefs, you know, do their pasta dishes. And he went over there to Italy and won that. And he, he bought out the old Cardamom Cafe, right? You know, and, and he lives in the neighborhood. This is like his neighborhood, you know, and he, he just wanted this tiny little box to do fresh pasta. And, you know, I went down there and I got takeout, you know, really when the pandemic started. And I just got some of the, you know, his, he's air drying his own fresh made pasta, you know, and I had wild mushroom rigatoni. Um, there was some saffron um, fusilli, I think, you know, it just, we took him home, cooked him up that night. It is, I mean, mind-blowing the difference you know it's like it's like the opposite of seeing the mona lisa in person because you see the mona lisa in person you're like that's it you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but this when you got those fresh made pastas you took them home you cooked them I was like oh my god this is so much better than boxed oh jesus <laughs> you know we my wife and i you know i made like a simple like you know um like creamy bolognese and and we ate it. We're like, oh, this is just brilliant. So, anyways, Cory Pastaficio, um, tiny little Italian trattoria, um, you know, over in, in right over by Underbelly, um, South Park, North uh, Park. You can definitely so, get out of there. It's so good. I, I love the place too. What yeah. about you, Brad? Right across the street, Urban. Super easy for me. I'm gonna say, um, I, I like their setup. They at one point they had uh, take home pizzas, so make it yourself. So you, you buy the dough ball, you buy the sauce. They basically have a, a make it at home kit, which I thought was really cool. Um, cocktails to go, beer to go. Um, and it's just all through the window outside. So I thought that was pretty cool. 
Nice. Yeah, that's Urban. You you are B N. They've been around for a while. Now, Brad, what do you yeah. think about this? You think you're going to be able to sell cocktails? I mean, I, I, you're you getting your liquor license? Did you say you were going to get your liquor license? Yeah, uh, beer and wine. So, okay. um, oh great! I actually probably right when we get off this call, I'm calling ABC here and having them come and <laughs> come and inspect the uh, the premise again with the new sidewalk cafe railing, and hopefully we'll be kind of good to go July ish. And I think that's when I'm going to have some conversations about what it looks like to open up the inside. So. Like we all know that ABC takes a really, really long time with the whole um, COVID. Did you find it taking an exuberantly longer period of time or was it still um, pretty much standard San Diego ABC? Um, you know, I guess, I guess I kind of fit in a little, I wouldn't say under the wire, but I had already been working on this. And when COVID came up, like I'm looking at the letter, it's dated April 28th. So I guess it kind of happened towards the, um, the, the worst part of it really. And, I, oddly enough, the the agents were available. <laughs> I didn't have a lot else going on, I think, and they were still oh, wow. working remotely. So, <laughs> right. I mean, I was able to contact my agent quickly, and you know, we had a conversation. I had to make a couple of choices, and here we are. So, how crazy has San Diego been now that you've been able to do takeout and, and booze? You know, I mean, this is like we're yeah. like Louisiana. Can well, we keep Vegas. that? I hope we can. I know. I hope we can. <laughs> That's keep what it I was going to ask. Do you think we'll keep that? You know, I mean, you should be able to keep that. You know, I mean, as long as people are responsible, they're not driving down the road drinking a Negroni. You know, I mean, come on, <laughs> let the little business owners sell some booze. It helps the bottom line, man. I, I really like the um, like. I look across the street. Like, it, you know, I'm I'm right on uh, University in in North Park. So I look across the street at Original Forty. Steve just set up a couple tables out there. People are drinking. You know? I'm like, this is wonderful. Oops. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a new. I mean, ironically, you know, the new totally, totally enclosed and shrunken and claustrophobic world has been wide open in a lot of different areas because of that. You know, meaning that you yeah. can put a grony to go. Uh, I don't think I've seen more people walking around the streets with road roadies than I ever have before, which I know isn't legal, but it's it's still nice to see. Dude, OB OB is looks like a casino floor, man. You know, <laughs> it's just like people walking around. It's like, what's up? I got a martini straight down Newport. <laughs> Dude, I saw this guy walking down the street here in North Park. This was like probably a month and change ago like hey, the streets were completely dead he had a full out like oil can dosecchi and he's a day trader you know no more, so. yeah. <laughs> what long-term effects do, do you think brad for you for restaurants but what long-term effects are we going to see obviously we're going to see a lot of closures we're going to see a lot of bleeding we're going to see a lot of uh, tragedy in our industry but you know what what, what do you think I guess let's say positive. Like, what do you think the positive out outcome is for restaurants or a positive outcome, or is it all just crap? I think, you know, the, the owners I talk to, I think a lot of us have uh, um, reconnected to our operations. Like um, <laughs> something different happens when you're working day to day, hands on. And you, you see a lot of things that um, are inefficient and things that you can fix. And I think, I think that the ones that survive will come out of this a lot better. You know, we're just better at our business. We realize the things that weren't efficient, the, you know, the, the, big, the systems, the scheduling, the, a, lot of, a lot of things. So I think we learn. 
I think that's, I mean, that's an amazing point. And, you know, and not to artificially bring this back to the problem that we're having with race in, in America, but this obviously let us pay attention to our systems in America too, you know, yeah. and anybody, when you break down and you take away all the noise and you take a deep look, you know, whether you're a business owner or a, a country dealing with a racial problem, you know, you're just like, oh, wow, this system is broken. Let's figure some of this out, you know, and you will get a lot more efficiencies, hopefully culturally and business-wise, you know. Yeah, and I think, you know, you asked a little bit earlier about conversations I, I wish people were having. I think one of the biggest ones, um, I didn't quite get to this, but the police violence thing is one thing, but mm -hmm. it, economically, like standard of living, opportunities, employment, um, all of that has not changed a lot for black people in America since mm -hmm. 1963. I keep, a, I, keep a, <laughs> I keep this graphic on my phone, saved in my photos, like favorite photos, just for this conversation. Because I have it like, I'd say once every few months with friends and I'll say, hey, it hasn't changed. They're like, oh dude, it has. And I'm like, no, check this out. It's actually gotten worse. And I think that what, the first thing to solve is, yeah, the, the, the police issue and start working on that. But I think we have to look at better integration. Like, we have not integrated. Like, you think about it, mm -hmm. that 6% black population in San Diego, it's nowhere near the coast. Like, you really have to get oh. inland to look for it. And we still, live in, we still live in really separated, segregated communities. It's, it's odd. You know, and that's what, it, just talking about our responsibility as journalists, you know, this is something, you know, last year I woke up and I, you know, racial um, ignorance or inattention can come at you and, and kind of seep into you when you're not paying attention. You know, I, I, in order to make a career, I have to film two TV shows across the United States and do a, this part-time, you know, um, editor-at-large with San Diego Magazine. So I'm just running back and forth, back and forth, you know, hustling to keep a media career alive. And at one point last year, I woke up and I was talking to my wife and, you know, and I was like, God, I feel like I'm just covering white dudes. Like all of my coverage is white male openings, restaurant openings. I was like, I didn't mean to do that. I don't know how this happened. It was just like, hey, Troy, here's the big opening. We just go cover it. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And so it has to be active. It has to be, you have to willingly go out and find that, you know, balance in your, um, in your coverage as a journalist. You know, I have to make sure, you know, if some people are like, oh, come on, does it have to be that formula? Like, you know what? It does. It really should. You know, and I came to that realization kind of like a, my own coming to Jesus. And I started, you know, covering a lot more of, you know, Asian restaurants and our, Lat our Latin acts and everything else near towards the end of last year. And then obviously this happened. And I was like, where's my black coverage? Where is, I mean, I, that is 6% of our population in San Diego. Where is my coverage? So we're all taking a look at that. But I guess my point with all of this is that, you know, we have a responsibility in media to actively, like, like, it sounds like it sounds stupid. It sounds like it's keeping score, but just actively make sure you go out and find that Latin, that Asian, that you know, um, you know, a, a female-run business, a black-owned business. You know, you find those and make sure that you're balanced. You know, that needs to be part of your repertoire that you wake up and do every single day. And I think we become lazy. And and, and I think that's kind of what you're saying about economy and giving you know the black community. You know, jobs, jobs, and then commiserate paying jobs on, you know, which is what we're looking at, you know, and 
you have to actively do that. You know, you have to actively hire. You have to actively look in those communities. You know, you can't just be like, well, whoever walked through my door, it didn't walk through my door. Well, no, you've got to go find it sometimes, you know, and that's what I'm doing with my coverage personally. You know, it just, it's been a great coming to Jesus for me, you know, especially because you, you like to sit here every day and you go, man, I don't see, you know, it would be nice to say, I don't see color. I don't, I, 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 no way, man, I, this, that's not me. I don't, I don't do this because he's just a white guy. And you're like, you know what though? You know, like if you, if you really like kind of pause and look around, look at this trail of news clippings and look at all that, you know, ivory skin, man. You look at all of that. There's just a lot of, you know, there's a, there's a lot of white dudes and you know, you can easily slip, I guess, into like, you know, just covering what is thrown at you. You know, and for me, it's just how to take a way more proactive stance in terms of, you know, making sure that our coverage is balanced out. You know, it's, it's, we, it's American life is so busy, you know, and it's easy to not pay attention to this kind of stuff. And it, finally, this woke us up, I guess. And it's something you got to wake up and actively do every day. Uh, that's my long-winded speech on that. On that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good one, though. I mean, it yeah. is, you know, if, if anyone says to me, you know, I don't see color, I'm like, what's your favorite color? <laughs> Come on, dude. Totally. Absolutely. You know, like, whenever yeah. there's, there's all that, like, you know, all that's the same like all lives matter. You're like, oh, come on. <laughs> yes. I, it's like I just want to reach through the computer and just, just shake them. You know, I don't want to strangle them. I just want to shake them a little bit. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Man. I personally just want to thank Brad. And look, you know, yeah. they say during this, I'm, I'm a white guy sitting here asking you a question about the black community. I really appreciate you sharing your insight because the last thing that they say to do is bother your black friends right now because they got bigger shit to deal with. And I appreciate you sharing your perspective as a black business owner and, you know, during during this time, man. Um, and I'm going to say cheers and any time. I think that I think that the long-term solution for this is white people having more black friends. Oddly <laughs> 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 as it is, we, we just need to mix it up, man. I mean, just yeah, if, if, your, if your friendship looks like, you know, the United Colors of Benetton, wow, I'm a Gen Xer. You but are. We, <laughs> you know, we all I mean, know those ads. <laughs> yeah, that's what it should look like, right? I mean, yeah. it, should be, it should be a rainbow nation of people and that's, that's that's the long-term result of this so what we need so cheers definitely cheers to friends and conversations man thank you so much yes. cheers. thank you thank you and, and we want to hear also from uh you the listeners we want we want your feedback on all of this we want to know how you feel we want to know how you're 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 protesting as because we support you in doing all of that and uh you have a question for troy you need recommendation for takeout as well any of that Give us a call. We have a voicemail at 619-744-0535. Or you can just email us at happyhalfhour at sdmag.com. And uh, we will uh, we'll address any of your questions or concerns and all the above. Superficial or spiritual? Go ahead and ask. All right. Is that it? You feel good? I, I think so. Good. Yeah, that was just I feel a good. conversation. Like I said, I'll have this conversation every day. I'll have it as many times as it needs to be had because it needs to be had. So. I appreciate it, man. Really do. You got it. All right, we'll go. What, you got to fix the sink? Are you going to call the ABC and then fix the thing? <laughs> Can I curse on this? Yeah. Hell yeah. Motherfucker. Yes. When, when, please give me a week when something in this motherfucker doesn't break. Like, <laughs> killing me, man. But yeah, restaurant awesome. is. There we are. All right. Well, we will uh, We'll talk to you all next week. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Brad. Thank you so much. All right. See you, buddy.